Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Our scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, reading chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to this church this morning. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and to the proclamation of his word. So this story from Mark's gospel drop, drops us smack dab into the middle of a conflict. There's thick tension in the air in this story. It hangs over the scene. Jesus has kind of been off stage. He comes back into the stage, into, into, into camera um, in this story. Jesus' followers are, are arguing with the scribes, and in fact, with the whole crowd. It's an uncomfortable scene. Something very important is going on, though. What are you arguing about, Jesus asks. You can bring up the slide that has the scripture on this. A man in the crowd answers, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. 
He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Then there's this key sentence. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Ah, so there's, there's tension and harsh words flying back and forth because of a problem. Indeed, because of failure. Now, Jesus' disciples had been on a roll. Had been. They were out and about. They were proclaiming the kingdom of God. They were, they were healing the lame in Jesus' name. They were driving out demons that hold people down in death and despair. There were crowds. There was success. There was momentum. They'd been on a roll, and now they failed. And they failed badly in front of everybody. This poor father had brought his son to Jesus' disciples to be healed of a demon that had tormented this poor child its whole life. I asked your disciples to drive out this spirit, the man tells Jesus, but they couldn't do it. So Jesus' followers had failed, and understandably, they were disappointed with themselves. Their confidence cracks, and they're full of self-doubt. And we know that disappointment often lays the seeds of doubt, right? And doubt grows like a weed, and it grows like a weed throughout this story. The disciples are arguing because they're defensive. We all get that way when we fail, right? When we begin to be full of doubt, we get defensive and argumentative. And then the crowds begin to doubt. They doubt Jesus, so much so that poor Jesus, you know, puts his hands up and says, ah, how long do I have to put up with you? And then the boy's father, so full of disappointment, he can't get past his doubt either, says to Jesus, if you can do anything, if. And then... I find this most remarkable. When Jesus drives out the demon, the crowd still doubt that the child is alive. I don't know if you caught that in the story. They say, he looks like a corpse. They're doubting. So disappointment and doubt have crept through this story. It's, it's not a comfortable story to be in, okay? Don't walk out on it, though, because I think I think something very important is going on. In fact, I think when we're honest with ourselves, we kind of realize maybe this isn't the kind of story that we're looking at from the outside. Some of us might actually feel like we're in this story. We're in that atmosphere, that scene of doubt and disappointment. Like I said, Jesus' followers, his disciples, had been on a roll. They'd been flying high. They had success. And then, at this point things got hard, and they failed. They struggled, and then doubt begins to creep in. Does it sound familiar? It does, it does for me, anyway. I find this actually describes my life often. Following Jesus, which begins for each and every one of us at our baptism, it can go easy for a while. Things can be good. Upward and onward, success. But then at some point, it gets hard and we fail. Inevitably, certainly, we blow it. The struggles are too much. Maybe, even every, maybe everyone even sees our struggles, like the disciples and the crowd. And then what happens? Disappointment. 
doubt begin to creep in. Am I cut out for this? What if it happens again? Following Jesus can be difficult. I, I don't know if I can do it. These thoughts bounce around in our head. Now, I work with a demographic, people aged 18 to 25, where this, this dynamic of disappointment and doubt is rampant. It's rampant among this demographic. Now, everyone is different. We all differently experience that moment when we realize that our journey through life with Jesus isn't always a walk in the park. Sometimes it's a wandering in the wilderness. But among this younger demographic particularly, it's an age when they leave, leave home, go off to college or university or work. They're doing that right now, this very weekend, in fact. They begin to face the world on their own, often without their family, the shelter of their family or their home church with them. Struggles come, and for some of them, it breeds disappointment and then, and then doubt. I hear this often from students in their first semester question, uh, statements like, like oh, I have, I'm at university, I have all these questions, and I never knew it would be so hard to get to church in the morning too, and um, my professors are saying things to me, and I don't know how to respond, and I, I feel like I'm full of doubt and questions, and they're struggling, and maybe some of you had an experience like this when you left home for the first time or went off to university, or maybe it's happening in a midlife crisis. Maybe it's happening when you retire. In fact, studies are showing that when people retire is actually a moment when a lot of crises hit, and this spiritual crisis can be one of them. We struggle, we have problems, and the disappointment and doubt creep in. And just like this poor father in this story, if you are able, we say to Jesus, if you are able, we can't contain our doubts. Our doubts, we all have doubts sometimes. Some of you are looking at me quite indignantly, like, what, me? I never have doubts. Come on. I've been a, I've been a, a pastor for too long and a Christian for even longer. I don't believe you if you say you never have doubts, never struggle with disappointments with God or with yourself. Some of us doubt sometimes that there's a God. Some of us doubt sometimes that the Bible is true. Sometimes we doubt that God cares for us and can really make something good with our lives, don't we? Some of us struggle because we're naturally skeptical people. It's like we're hardwired. I'm one of those people, in fact. Faith for me has never been easy. One grad student I met a couple of years ago who grew up, grew up in the Christian Reformed Church um, told me very, very bluntly when I first met her that uh, she doesn't believe anymore. She doubts. She said, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like Thomas from the Bible. You remember Thomas, right? The Apostle Thomas, who didn't believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. She says, I, I can't believe anymore. Sometimes people doubt because life has simply crushed them. Their life plays out like a Hank Williams song, full of sorrow and bitterness. I've got to know a, a professor on campus very well. And when I first met her, she told me, I, I, don't, I don't consider myself a Christian anymore. I have too many doubts. And as I got to know her over cups of coffee, sometimes we go out for a beer on campus, 
She tells me her story, and it's filled with terrible things, with death, with adultery, with despair, with sickness. She was just crushed. There's lots of good Christians who struggle with doubt, even here. We aren't doubting maybe that God exists, but sometimes we wonder, does he really have the whole world in his hands? Because down here on earth, it seems pretty chaotic right now. Just had a, had a pandemic, there's a war going on. We're not doubting God's existence, maybe we're doubting his promises. So I know as a pastor for a fact that on any given Sunday, in any church, including this one, there are lots of good people with strong faith, and to that we say hallelujah. But there are also some here who are just, just hanging on by their fingernails. And many of us, many, many of us I think are probably somewhere in between, aren't we? So what do we do with our doubt? What do we do? That's the key question for me. We want to hide our doubt, right? That's what Christians do. Don't let anyone see it. No, no. What I love about this story is how Jesus brings the doubt right out into the open. He flushes it out into the open. And I think this is so important. If I can help you, Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. He names it. He names that doubt and identifies it. And then the man gives a wonderful answer to Jesus. This is one of the best sentences in the New Testament, I think. So authentic. I believe he roars. And then I, I think he whispers the next line. Jesus, help my unbelief. These two things hold together. I believe, help my unbelief. You've said that in your heart sometimes, haven't you? I have, many times. See, we don't want to hide our doubt like it's some kind of dirty secret, as if, as if God can't see it. We want to bring it out into the open and let God's grace encounter it, confront it, help our unbelief. This is so good for us to do, rather than to pretend we're, you know, we're super Christians who never waver. The fact is, the belief can be hard, and hard times can make belief, can make faith even more difficult. And having faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior doesn't mean never having doubt or questions or uncertainties. It means following Jesus despite them. Like the Father who says to Jesus, I believe, but I'm struggling to do it, Jesus, help me. I'm struggling to do it. It's taking a leap of faith. It's taking the plunge. And in doing this, we're doing the opposite of what the crowds do in our story. The crowds witness Jesus exercise a demon from a child. They see this child get life, and yet they really only see death. The boy was like a corpse, the story said, so that most of the people said, He's dead. Bring up the next, uh, the next image, please. See, as Christians, everything we see sometimes in the world looks like death. It's only by the risk of faith that our eyes are opened 
and our doubts are overcome. And one thing we do by going to church every Sunday, by hearing the word, by partaking of the sacraments, is to train ourselves on this image. This image in the sermon, this image in the sacrament, is an image of death. But by confronting ourselves with it every week, what we're really doing is to look on death and, in fact, to see life, to see God's goodness, to see God's salvation. Because in this scene of death is life and victory and hope. Faith is the courage to confidently believe that which can be doubted. So says one of the great reformed theologians of the 20th century, a, a missionary, Leslie Newbigin. You can bring up the next slide. I think I have this, this citation. I had this written on my, on my whiteboard at home for a while. Faith is the courage to confidently believe that which can be doubted. We believe in something that can be doubted. And so we have to act with courage and commit ourselves even daily, to believing God's promises, to following Jesus, to overcoming our doubts. Faith doesn't deny doubt. It overcomes it, sometimes daily, by the grace of God. Something really important, something very practical follows from this, and I, and I want to close with this, a kind of practical takeaway. We want to bring our doubts out into the open before God. We want to do that while we're part of the church, while we're part of the Christian community. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, well, remember, remember this grad student that I told you about, the, the one who grew up in the Christian Reformed Church and no longer believes. And she says to me, I'm like, I'm like Thomas, the apostle. I'm a, I'm a skeptic. I'm doubt. I'm doubting. I'm chatting with her for a while, and, and I said to her, so, so you grew up, I knew growing up in the Christian Reformed Church, I knew she'd have a good Sunday school knowledge of the Bible. So I said, you know, tell, me, tell me what happened with Thomas. How did that story unfold? She says, well, it, it was after Easter, Jesus is raised from the dead, he appears to his disciples, and Thomas isn't there. So Thomas doesn't believe. He's, as we call in church tradition, he's doubting Thomas. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, that's right. And then how does the story go further? And she says, well, the next Sunday, um, Jesus appears to his disciples, and then Thomas is there, and then he believes. You know, he had proof. I said, yeah, that's it. So, so you're, saying, you're saying that Thomas didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but where is he the next Sunday? She's, and then she saw the trap that I walked her into. She, oh, he was in church. I said, oh, so Thomas brought his doubts with him to church. She hasn't yet, not yet, but there's hope for her. But we, we want to bring our doubts with us before God and with the people of God, and we want to do this not apart from the church, but part of the church. And that means for the rest of us whose faith is strong, that we want to make space for those who are weak, who are struggling. We want to make space for them in prayer, you know, hold them in love, listen to them, and trust that in time, God will address their doubts. There's something remarkable that happened to this, this professor I was telling you about, the one who, who gave up on faith because her, 
her doubts just overwhelmed her. I got to know her quite well over a few years for, for coffee and, and conversation, and then one day I dropped, on, I dropped by her office, and, and she said, uh, said Todd, I, I, I went to church last Sunday for the first time in years. She said, I, she said I'm, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Christian, but I went to church. I, I felt like I needed to pray, and my heart just smiled inside me. So she said, I, I'm not a Christian, I, I can't say the creed. She's been in church every week since then, though, and at first she couldn't say the creed, but now she can. It's almost as if the faith of all the people around her kind of rubbed off on her, and I think that's what the Holy Spirit does sometimes when we, when we bring our doubts with us and we're surrounded by the people of faith who love us and hold us in Christ. Their faith kind of rubs off on us, and this is something wonderful because the doubters who are here right now are at home watching online. You're with us, and you're singing with us. You're confessing the creed with us. You're hearing God's word in the sermon. You're seeing Jesus' body broken in the bread and the wine. Here, you're encountering Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful thing that the Spirit does to those of us who are weak, who are in seasons of doubt and despair. He holds us up in the faith of others around us. Now, a recent report on millennials and Gen Z, that's this younger demographic, said that one of the reasons they leave church when they go from home to university is that they feel like their home churches aren't places where they can bring their doubts and their questions. They're, they're afraid that we will tell them to paper over their doubts or we won't listen to them. And I, and I encounter this often especially among students who are raised in, in, in strong evangelical churches where, where the gospel is proclaimed, but it's always proclaimed as, as a kind of victory dance. And what happens is when, when, when the troubles come, and they always come, their faith just isn't ready for those dark moments, those empty moments, those moments like we sung about when we cry from the depths. We want to be the kind of community where people can bring their hard questions and their doubts. We want to be the kind of community where people can fail and suffer deep disappointment and say, I believe. Jesus, help my unbelief. We want to be the kind of community where people can say amen with a loud, strong voice, but also one where people can just whisper it shakily, amen. Sometimes it feels like the foundations of our world are really shaking and our lives get rattled along with it. Following Christ can be hard in these times and it's easy for doubt and uncertainty to creep in like it did in our story this morning. Let it. But bring it with you to church. Bring it before God. Bring it before the cross and confess, maybe daily, I believe but Jesus, help my unbelief. And remember that doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It's a condition that makes us daily choose to follow Jesus with joy and confess him with confidence. Amen. What I'd like to do in response instead of a prayer is, is to use our catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism.
Um, if you could bring up the final slide. Hopefully there's no technical difficulties, like they, they warned me beforehand. There it is. If you're raised in a Christian Reformed Church, we all know Heidelberg Catechism 1, right? Our only comfort in life and in death. So for my money, the best question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism isn't the first one, but the last one. This is question 129, and it's a question about prayer. The question is, what does this little word, amen, express? I'm going to ask it to you in a minute. But just by way of context, this is a reminder to us, to those of us who maybe are struggling with doubt and disappointment and even unbelief, that God hears our prayers not because of the strength of our faith, but because of who he is, because of his unconditional love for us in Jesus Christ. We want to remember that every time we throw a prayer up, even if it's a prayer like, help my unbelief, please God. So people of God, what does this little word, amen, express? Amen means, this shall truly and surely be. It is even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. Say amen to that. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.